Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. This is Taylor Thomas, Jessica Miller, Christiana Reed. We're so happy to have you guys here for part two of parenting. We took a break, talked about vulnerability, because that's always a good idea. And now we get to learn about time ins, time outs, and redos. Redos. So if you guys have been anxiously awaiting all of that information, now is the time. To listen at you. Mm -hmm. So let's get started. I have had one heck of a mothering week. That is for sure. My kids have been on top of me, next to me, around me, all of the time. So I'm ready to listen to how to help them when they need to be disciplined in a positive way. When can we do timeouts? When can't you? There's a lot of times. We're going to tell you right now. (laughs) Okay, guys. So, yeah, let's start with the difference between a time in and a time out. Because so many people have no idea. And I'm like, oh, are you doing time ins with your child? And they're like, I don't know what that is. So let's explain it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just being Well, here you go, KJ. Listen (laughs) up. Okay. So a time out is a form of consequence punishment that was developed a long time ago and has become very, very popular. Everyone knows it. Everyone is aware of it, right? So a timeout is... Most people use it, right? Use it, yes. yes. And it is used daily. Mm -hmm. um, Minutely, sometimes. Yes. (laughs) So a timeout is where you remove the child from the situation, you isolate them, You don't speak to them. You don't talk to them, whatever. You have them think about what they did. Usually you time it. The general advice that most people have heard is one minute for every year of life that child has had. You isolate them. You have them think. And then after the minutes are up, they can come and rejoin the group. Assuming that they learned, don't hit, don't call your sister a jerk, whatever it is. That's a typical timeout. You will see people do it like have their child turn and face the wall. Um, They'll have their child go up to their room. They'll have a timeout chair often, that kind of a thing. But no matter what, the main premise is I'm going to remove this child from the situation and from our presence because what they're doing is not okay. They cannot be with us when they do that. So what happens to a kid when you put them in a timeout like that? We're all assuming that they're learning a lesson, right? Like you have Mm -hmm. to be over there because you hit. But what's actually happening? So I'll use my own example because you guys love my examples, right? We do. So I can remember being little and being sent to my room and laying on the bed. I mean, I was probably between like eight and ten. 
laying on the bed, sobbing, just crying so much and just thinking, I hate my parents so much. This is so unfair. Why do I have to be in my room? Why is this happening to me? This is ridiculous. And I did not have one thought about what had happened. Who so knows? No, so no Maybe learning there. Sister. No learning. <laughs> Just a lot of anger, a lot of emotions. And when we talked about that window of tolerance in our first episode, most kids who go to timeout flip to the red zone immediately because you are isolating them and you are separating them and telling them that they're bad. So they flip to that red zone in which case they can't make appropriate decisions. They literally are just ruminating on everything that you are doing wrong instead of what they are doing wrong. Mm -hmm. In contrast, a time in is where you take the time. It's more of like a philosophical approach where you take the time to say you're misbehaving. It's not appropriate, but I'm going to help you regulate, come back to your green zone, learn about why you're, not acting appropriately, and then rejoin the group and try again. Mm -hmm. So this would look like your child hits their sister and you grab them, you remove them from the sister because you don't want them to be hitting, right? And then you say, hey, you know, sisters are not for hitting. You can use that ACT model and say, what can we do to make it better? The child's like, ugh, rolls their eyes. I guess I could say sorry. (laughs) You say, and you further reinforce that. Saying sorry is a great idea. I'm sure your sister would appreciate it. Why don't you go do that? You send them over. They say sorry. And then you say, great, they can go on their way and play. For a younger kid, it might look like they're screaming, throwing a tantrum, and you just hold them close until they can calm down. And then you can say, hey, it's not appropriate to X, Y, and Z. So, we need to stop doing that. So can we go and play nicely now or whatever? There's different levels for what they are, right? Okay. Like depending on how old they are and their like mm-hmm. cognitive understanding. Their, yeah, exactly. Their level of understanding. Okay. Yeah. So it seems like what you're explaining is instead, because I mean, we've used timeouts in our house for the last few years with our little kids, because like you said, we've been doing it for years and years and years and it was modeled to us and it's what we see around. Um, And so we do that with Scout and Boone, you know, like Boone, like you don't hit your sister. You're going to sit in this chair in the same room as us for two minutes. And then when you're done, you can go and say you're sorry. And we Mm -hmm. watch Boone and while he, I mean, he sits there. Sometimes he'll scream and scream and scream. Sometimes he'll sit there kind of more in like his blue zone instead of his green zone. Right. But, and then when he's done, he like says, sorry, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like the thing that's more important to us as parents in that moment is the consequence or like hitting equals a consequence, not hitting equals we need to learn not to hit. Mm -hmm. And especially when your kid is being crazy, you know, and you're like, no, dude, like you need to, you need to go over there and you need to feel a consequence, you know, Mm -hmm. but I feel like that's more me than it is him. Yeah, exactly. And as parents, you can check in and check in with your own window of tolerance. And if you're between the red and green zone or in that red zone, it's not going to be a great parenting moment for you. And you're usually parenting out of a desire to control and put down your child and get them to do what you want rather than teaching and loving them. And you can really feel that. Like you'll all see parents at the store yell at their kid and you can just 
feel the mm-hmm. anger that they have mm-hmm. because they're so frustrated that they cannot control this child. Mm-hmm. When really, if you take the time to learn and teach with your child, that child isn't going to be having such a huge reaction most of the time. Yeah. But you really have to take a second and look at yourself, say, is this my issue or is it theirs? One example would be lying. Parents hate lying. They hate (laughs) it. They hate it. They hate it. I get so many parents in my office that are just like, oh my gosh, they're lying and this is ridiculous. And so I have this huge consequence and all of this, but lying is a developmentally appropriate skill for kids to learn. And so it's pretty normal and I try and help parents realize that, but they cannot let go. And so what will happen is if you choose to lie to me, your consequence gets so much bigger because I felt disrespected or whatever. And so I'm going to have this huge consequence where you can't do this, this, and this, and you're going to sit in your room for this long because you lied to me instead of realizing well, most kids will lie first when you ask them if they hit their sister. That's mm-hmm. just pretty normal, you know? Mm-hmm. And obviously, if you have a 14-year-old who's still lying, that's a different level than, like, your 6-year-old who is lying. But that's something that triggers the parent and really makes the parent angry because they view it as this breach of trust, whereas the child's like, I'm going to see if I can get out of this. And I don't really blame the child for trying that, you know? It's worth a shot. <laughs> yeah, might as well. So that's an example of the parent being triggered and more in the red zone than the child is. Because that child is just experimenting with limits, which is appropriate. That parent is enforcing intense consequences, which is not. I don't buy it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's I, a non-believer. I just could see some parents listening to this being like, okay, so... I don't stick my kid in the corner. Instead, I talk to them. But I could see some parents questioning why that would work for a kid that's really behaviorally out of control. So can you just tell us why that works for kids, even if they're throwing like the craziest tantrum or repeatedly doing the same thing over and over, how that can help them really change their behavior? So what you have to remember is that the goal of parenting, as we've laid it out for you guys in um, episode one of parenting, is to get that child back to the green zone because nine times out of 10, if they're in their green zone, they're going to make an appropriate choice. And so what you have to view parenting as is teaching your child to emotionally regulate themselves and their own behaviors rather than you enforcing external consequences to make them do things. So really over time, as you do spend time with them, sit with them, listen, understand what's happening and then help them find a better solution. They will learn to come to their green zone on their own without as much help from you. But at the beginning, they're going to need a ton of help from you because it's super hard. Or especially if you're just bringing this concept into parenting right now, they're really going to be in their red zone a lot of the time Mm -hmm. because you just haven't taught them how to come to their green zone. You've just taught them, go to your red zone, and then once you're done screaming for long enough, you'll feel calm again because we all feel calm after we scream it out. And then they're fine. Right? Yeah, exactly. We're exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. And I talk to my parents because I have a lot of kids who have explosive tantrums regularly. We're talking like 
five to six a day because these children have a lot of trauma and they aren't emotionally regulated and they haven't learned how to. And those parents will really struggle with like, oh, what do I do? How do I handle this? How do I, you know, but really it's sitting with that child, helping bring them down and being in that kind of space with them because they won't tantrum like that forever, but they will as long as you are isolating them and having these punitive consequences where they're not having an opportunity to learn. And I think it comes back to where you are as a parent. Like I'm thinking about how I've been valuing the consequence for a really long time instead of valuing the lesson and what I want my kid to be learning. Because like, I think what Jessica is telling us, it's if we put the time in now and if we do these things and our kids will explode less. And so if we can just put in the time, value the fact, because I think sometimes, and I've even felt this way as a parent, it's like, you know, my kid just like, I mean, like my kids fight sometimes, like fist fight, you know, they just Mm -hmm. flip their lid and then they just like rage on each other. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And sometimes Booner Scout will do it like mostly or sometimes unprovoked. And so you're just like, whoa, dude, like you don't deserve to just talk to me. Like you deserve to go be over there. But it's like deserve, like that word is really interesting because what does that child deserve? Does that child deserve to be isolated because I'm in my red zone or is that child mm-hmm. deserve to listen? And when I'm in my green zone, of course I'm like, no, dude, like my child deserves to learn and to feel connected and to feel close and safe and grow. And I, so I think that kind of brings us to when are timeouts appropriate? Are timeouts really for parents when we're in our red zone? Yeah. <laughs> yes, Really, I would say the first reason to use the timeout and to remove the child from your presence is because you are majorly triggered and you know that you will do something you regret. Mm -hmm. However, I warn against using that as an excuse because often you'll find that every behavior makes you go to your red zone. And so (laughs) you're like, well... I had to put them in the room because I was triggered and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well then you need to work on your own triggers. Yeah. But that would be the first reason. The second reason is if they are a threat to themselves or to a sibling or you, that's yeah. really when you do want to remove them. And ideally you say like, Hey, you need to sit on this side of the couch while I sit on this side of the couch because you're choosing to kick me. But if it is escalating a lot, that's when you put them in their room, but you regularly check on them and talk to them through the door and say, I'm here for you when you're ready to be calm. Can you take some breaths for me? That kind of a thing. And the child will just continue to rage, but they're in a contained environment. So that's okay. But you want to be checking on them regularly and letting them know that they can come out as soon as they're calm and that you're there. Yeah. That kind of a thing. And KJ, I'm sure you see this a lot with teens, right? Yeah, I do. And I think maybe an example too would be if they're screaming things that are just really hurtful or yeah. not appropriate, you can kind of use that same tactic where you can say, hey, right now you're choosing to talk to me in a way that's hurtful. So I'm going to remove myself from that. But when you're ready to have a good conversation, I'll come talk to you. So Mm -hmm. it's letting them know, like, hey, you're choosing to do something that's causing distance between us right now. But when you're choosing to do something different that's actually helpful and good for you, 
then I'm going to re-engage with you. I'm not just going to, you know, steer clear of you for a long time. Yeah. And remember that that is for a teenager because they can purposely put distance and have these inappropriate behaviors. Whereas if you're expecting a two-year-old to understand that concept of like, hey, you can't be in my presence and I can't talk to you because of blah, blah. They can't understand that. They cognitively are not ready for that yet, right? But what KJ is saying for a teenager is completely appropriate where you say, hey, when you can use the right words, we can talk. But until then, we cannot. Because a teenager can choose to change their language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A three-year-old is just spouting off stuff that they know is going to get under your skin. But (laughs) they really actually don't know that it will get under their skin until you react. And then they're like, sweet, found another thing I can yell. Awesome. The other day, Scout... I, I, she was in trouble for something and I said, Scout, you need to come here right now. And she was so mad. And in her red zone, she wanted to say something hurtful. I don't know. She just like wanted to say something, but Scout doesn't have a whole lot of those things in her arsenal. So she yells, she goes, you're dangerous. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> dangerous. And then I would kind of, I was like, what? I'm dangerous. She was like, you're dangerous dangerous and she said it like that and then she soon I like brought her over and she like kind of calmed down we like talked about like what that word means and is mom really dangerous and like why did you say that you know and she was like oh because I'm mad and I'm like that's okay like you can be mad but it's not okay to call mom dangerous right <laughs> I'm sure we're just like Especially if she thinks it's beginning. terrible yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> Because there are a lot of things that Scout now understands as dangerous. So she was like, I'm going to put mom in that category. Yes. So anyway, it's pretty good. I'm one. sure we're at the beginning for, you know, like a whole lot of those in the future. But dangerous. Yeah. It's like a pretty, pretty interesting start. So exactly. So something that goes along with a time in is the concept of a redo. This comes from Karen Purvis who wrote The Connected Child, which is a book that she wrote for children who are being adopted, basically from orphanages, foster care, anywhere, and who have this trauma and who are learning to regulate for the first time once they're in their new home. And so it's a beautiful concept, which is basically the child does not know how to do it correctly. And so we give them the option and the coaching and the support that they need to do it correctly. So it really just looks like a child saying, mom, give me green beans. And you say, oh, hey, let's redo that. Can you say, mom, can you please give me some green beans? And the child says, mom, can you please give me some green beans? And you say, I would love to. You go ahead, give them the green beans. They're so happy. You're so happy because they're eating green beans. I was going to say, I really want my kid to ask for green beans. (laughs) It's a win-win, right? Yeah. So it's this concept where you're going to look at the behavior, say, okay, this is not what I want. Use that time in the ACT limit setting model and bring that child to that opportunity to then do it better, do it correctly, and just give them a second chance basically is what it is. So a redo, what you're going to look for is where they are on that window of tolerance, If they're in their green zone, you're going to find that redos are the most effective form of consequence because they are happy to learn and do it better. And so you're going to be like, oh, great, that worked really well. So they might hit their sibling, but you say, oh, they're not totally flipped yet. Hey, can you do that more nicely and redo that? 
And then they say, can I have the Lego? Sister gives the Lego, doesn't, whatever. And everything goes on hunky-dory. But there are going to be times when they're in their red zone where you need to bring them down to the green zone and then use that redo. But ultimately, that redo is helping that child form pathways in their brain that are more appropriate. So every time I hit my sister to get a Lego, I learned that hitting my sister to get a Lego works. But every time I have that chance to redo, I then learn using my words is more appropriate. And I form that pathway in my brain and I know how to do it. What do you do when the kid doesn't want to do the redo part? Like uh, we've been experiencing this with Boone this week. We're like implementing all of these things, Logan and I, and like he hits scout and then we're like, Boone, like you need to come over here. Like sister's not for hitting and he seems to be in his green zone, but he's, he's kind of like a stubborn child. I think Mm -hmm. he gets that from his father. And so (laughs) we're like, Hey, like sisters are not for hitting. He's like, okay. And then we're like, what do you need to do to make it right? And then he doesn't say anything. We're like, you need to go say sorry. And then he just won't. Mm-hmm. Like he'll be like, you know, and he'll yeah. like roll around and like make un- inaudible noises and stuff. We're yeah. like, dude, you have to say sorry. So is he not truly in his green zone then if he's not being receptive to those things? Yeah. So that's when you would look at for him, there's something about saying sorry that feels probably for him feels like a lack of power. And so I don't really yes. want to do that part. I think and that's so exactly probably, right. Yeah. Where he's like, that part is flipping him back probably to that red line where he's not totally red again, but he's just like, oh, I don't really want to and I'm not going to and you can't make me, you know. Mm -hmm. But that's where you set firm boundaries and you say, this is the right thing to do. I know it is so hard. Can I help you? Can I go over with you? Whatever. But ultimately, you follow through. he does it eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And you say if you want to take an extra five minutes to roll on the ground and be unhappy, (laughs) that is just fine. And that's really where you say, yeah, "Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You say that is your time. And if you want to use it that way, I'm happy to let you use it that way. And that's where as the parent, you're trying not to be triggered and be like, Oh, say sorry, you know, do it. Yeah. Or a lot of times parents will be like, okay, fine. If you're not going to say sorry, then back in timeout. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and then he's like, really flips again and you're like well that didn't work uh, we <laughs> so took three steps back whereas there. yeah if you let him roll around on the ground for a minute and you say oh but remember you need to say sorry he hopefully will eventually do it right and yeah. so it's like it might be a couple of extra minutes but he's going to get there whereas if you go backwards with the consequence and be like okay well now you're in big trouble yeah. you're going to be looking at a 15 minute tantrum which is yeah. not worth your time and energy Right. And a lot of times you can tell that you are doing the inappropriate thing because the idea is to bring them down to the green zone, not to escalate them to the red zone. But so many parents feel if I can escalate them to the red zone, then I'm winning. Yeah. So if I say, hey, you go to your room and they scream and cry, then you're like, see, it means something to them. They're angry. Yeah. Yeah. But their brain is flipped off. They're not learning. They're not growing. Mm -hmm. Or you can't have your dessert now. They're Mm -hmm. like, blah, you know, because parents have learned. I think that what is really good is that parents have learned if you set a boundary, you need to follow through. We've really ingrained that and parents are good at that. 
But the problem is, is that they're setting these boundaries and these limits so quickly and with no thought. Yeah. And then they have to follow through on them. And it feels good to follow through because you're like, I'm the parent. But really, you're just serving to escalate your child further, which really is hurting you in the long run because you're the one who has to deal with that. Yes. I have set those bad boundaries before where I'm like, yeah, we're not going to get ice cream now. And then the other kid's like, I didn't do anything wrong. Why don't I get ice cream? And then I'm like, dang it. Like, <laughs> why did I do that? And then that? you're like, but I have to follow through. Yeah. yeah like, you, and then you, you're well, you like, don't get ice cream, but we get ice cream. Oh, no, that's not going to work either. <laughs> we're going to eat in front of you. Right? Terrible. <laughs> that would be so sad. Very sad. So something else that you can add on to your time ins and your redos is the concept of a, what do you call it, KJ? So I call it a first aid kit, like an emotional first aid kit. You basically create with your child this little toolbox of things they can use to help themselves calm down. And they think it's cool because they kind of get to decide what they put in there. So you guide them to, you know, pick things that apply to the five senses. So maybe they put a picture in there of their family and they can look at that or picture of bunnies and it calms them down. Or maybe they put in some good smelling lotion, which can work for touch and smell. Maybe they put in uh, something like a little radio or a little like iPod or something where they could listen to music they like. Uh, Maybe they can put in a little treat of some sort, like some candy or something that they like eating. So yeah, gum, yeah, gum, gum mints, um, things that they're, yeah, that's a good point. Things that they're not just going to try to break into their safety. Yeah. Cause I got to get parents are like, butter um, yeah, exactly. They basically ask me all day to use their safety kit cause they know there's starburst in there. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, maybe we should make it a different kind of treat. But like Jolly Ranchers are also good because it takes them a long time to suck on it. Yeah. So they get that feeling for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I just do this with teenagers more who have a little more self-control and realize self-control. that candy is yeah. more readily available than... I don't have that self-control. So your teenagers <laughs> yeah. are amazing. You're doing great work. <laughs> but they might realize that like if they eat it all, it's yeah, gone. They have that, so. that concept. So, and that's a good point too, that it it does work with teenagers too. Uh, They may not be as excited about it, but if you just kind of teach them about it, teach them the concept behind it, I think some genuinely do really like it and kind of feel like it's their own little thing that they can use and feel good about. So you can direct them to... You know, if they're really, they're in their red zone or they're, you know, they flip their lid, you can say, hey, like, let's go use your emotional first aid kit or let's go use your special box or your treasure chest or whatever you call it. And let's kind of work on calming down together. Kind of like, Jessica, what you said in our other episode, like we as parents have to cope with our kids. We have to teach them that Mm -hmm. process. They're not just going to, you know, learn that themselves. We, we all had to be taught that. And so if we, you know, learn how to cope ourselves, we can pass that on to them of, Hey, let's try this. 
it works for me. It may really work for you. So yeah. it's just mm-hmm. a cool, cool technique you can try with your kids. Yeah. Another thing that you can do is, um, you know, Jessica was talking about like sometimes they'll, there'll be a designated timeout chair in the home. But what you can do is you can do like a designated peace chair or peace area. So that's like a plate, like a location for that kid to come down into their green zone. And so they can have their their uh, first aid kit there or they can just have things that they like. So sometimes you can even let your kid like decorate it. It can be like a beanbag chair and they can put like pictures around there that they really like or a stuffed animal or a blanket or anything like that. And then you can say, hey, like I can say that you're really struggling right now. Like, do you want to go sit in your special place so you can feel safe and kind of calm down? Mm -hmm. And you can even go there with your kid. So you can say like, I'll go with you. Like maybe we can go and like cuddle and like feel good for a little bit and then we can talk about what happened. So you can do like a first aid, if like a kid's not really responding to like the first aid kit, if they just like being somewhere instead in the house. They just have a safe space. Yeah. yeah you can like create an actual location for that. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay. So now we have our takeaways. So the first one is obviously to practice and look at your use of time outs and start using time ins and practice those skills, those redos, see how it goes. Practice, practice, practice. That's the only way it starts to feel comfortable and that your child will start responding. So hop to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And another takeaway is just create that emotional first aid kit with each of your kids and if you don't have kids, maybe just create one for yourself. Make it for yourself. Which, I have one. Yeah, it's it's seriously a really good tool for anybody. So create your emotional first aid kit. Treat yourself to some good stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I might put some. Like the good chocolate. Yeah. yeah. But yes. really just, you know. All I think about is food and mine. I'm yeah. Like, I'd, yeah. Have, I'd have this candy and I'd have this. Yeah. <laughs> KJ just bought herself a nice blanket. You can put your blanket in there. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that'll fit. <laughs> I'll put that How in there. Small. I think re- you can make the box as big as you want. <laughs> right? Think outside the box, KJ. <laughs> I just have a giant refrigerator box full of my coping skills. Yes, yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll have that another be, episode on you're that. Like, get around <laughs> <laughs> with my giant bag of Sour Patch Kids. There we done go. Done done. Costco sized. Yeah. All <laughs> right. Well, next week we are going to be talking about guilt and shame because. It's just so good to talk about that stuff because we all feel it. We Mm -hmm. need to just dig in there and get to the bottom of it. So stay tuned for that. See you next week. Talk to you next week. Oh, okay. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search ThoughtsPod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Vrijic from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us. Blue Bears. Blue Bears.
Good morning if you're a true fan. Good afternoon if you're a mediocre fan. And good evening if you're not even, do you even care about us? No, they're you listening suck. to it so that they fall asleep. I had, a th- I had a client fall asleep during a guided imagery one time. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. I had threw a tissue box at them. Good. Whoa. And they woke up. Oh, sorry. Okay. Trying to open something. Scout just like barged in. She was like, we're going to a house with dogs. 